As we uh, continue through the book of Revelation, uh, we're moving out of the letter portion of Revelation. Uh, We're moving into all of the visions, all of the weird creatures and animals and people that you encounter and all the windows of what John is seeing as he's getting able or as he's able to peer into what God is wanting him to see. So remember that as we go through these next chapters all the way up until the end of the book, we need to focus on what John sees next and not what happens next. Uh, Because to understand Revelation better, you need to be concerned with the same thing that John is concerned with. Uh, When we tend to read Revelation, knowing that it has moments where uh, it talks about the future, it talks about uh, what the end will look like and the signs of the end times, we tend to be more concerned with the how and the when instead of the what or the who and the why like John is, right? We want to know how it happens, how it's all going to play out, and then when is it going to happen? When are all of these events going to take place? What year? What what time? How many years in between? But it's because Revelation is not linear. It's very much all over the place is what it seems like in our minds that we need to be more concerned with what John sees next and we need to be more concerned with the who and the, what did I say? Uh, the who and the why. That's what, I, that's what I was thinking. I just don't want to misquote. Right, so... Uh, when the war in Ukraine uh, started, when, when they first declared war and Russia started invading, I constantly saw people on Facebook searching in Revelation, searching in the book of Daniel, and finding different things in Scripture and saying, this is prophecy, this is what's happening now, and here's what's going to happen next. This is what we need to look out for. This is what is happening next. And I'm not saying that it's not prof- prophetic. I'm not saying uh, that... There isn't any truth in what they were saying. What I am saying is that I'm not as concerned about those things as I am with who it's all about and why he's doing it. Because that's what John's uh, concerned about. He's, uh, when he sees phrases, when you look at phrases and it says, I looked or I turned and I saw or I heard, he's not thinking, I wonder at what point in all of human history is this going to happen? I wonder... What will happen next after this event takes place? What's going to happen next? And how will all of this play out? No, he's, he's looking at who it's about. He's looking at Christ, and he's looking at why is Christ doing this? Because ultimately, he knows that Christ's coming back to save and redeem his people is more important than the year that it all happens. And that's how I want us to be as we're going through this study. Let's be honest, it's much more simple to just pay attention to what John sees next instead of try to figure out and fail at figuring out what's going to happen next in the linear timeline that we like it to be. But today, uh, we're going to be talking about the first few visions, uh, the throne, the seals, the scrolls, and the trumpets. And this will continue on into next week uh, because there's a lot packed into these four. But I think it's important that the first thing that John sees is the throne. So in Revelation chapter 4, starting in verse 1. After this I looked, and before me was a door standing open in heaven, and a voice I first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne, 
in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were the 24, uh, were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and pearls of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. And then skipping down to chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break these seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father and gracious God, as we open up this uh, message portion of our worship service today, I ask that you just speak through me as you only know how and as you always do. Lord, open up all of our hearts to receive your message. May we find something in this passage that pushes us deeper into a relationship with you. For it's in Jesus' name. Amen. So when it comes to this throne uh, John, uh, that John sees, everything is pointed at it, everything is paying attention to it. And there's 24 other thrones that are surrounding it. And there's all of creation is focused on this particular throne. Now the 24 other thrones and the 12 elders that are on there represent the 12 tribes of Judah and the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ. So these 12 tribes and these 12 apostles make up all of God's activity here on earth through the 24 thrones. So when you see the 24 thrones, think of all that God does through us now as disciples of Christ. All of God's human activities went through either the apostles, which reached the Gentiles, or the 12 tribes of Judah, which reached uh, the nation of Israel. Right, So all of creation, this is all of God's doing throughout earth. So God who pursues his broken people to rescue them, to save them, to not turn his back on them, they are demonstrated here in this throne room. But that's not all, that, all that's there. There's these weird creatures that are flying around. There's these four living creatures. One was like a lion. The other one was like an ox. The other had a face of a man. And the last was like an eagle. But each one of them had eyes all around them, and they all had six wings, and all those wings had eyes on the front and back. Now, if you really try to just take a moment and picture what that would look like, right? Straight out of a nightmare, straight out of a scary movie. Like, imagine me as a man, who knows what his body looks like, but at least the face of a man with six wings, there's just eyes all over the place just blinking at you, right? Is that not creepy? Is that not terrifying? But Revelation is full of imagery like this, and it's to say something deeper. Because the lion is actually the noblest of all creatures. The ox 
is powerful, the man is intelligent, and the eagle is swift. And what these four living creatures surrounding and uh, living in unison with one another, it's a picture of all that God has created. It's all of his creation. And so what's crazy about in this throne room, we're not the only ones that are worshiping there. These creatures, all of creation is pointing towards this throne. The 24 elders on the thrones, all the creatures, all creation, all are giving their full attention. They're giving all of their glory, all of their affection, and they're all focused on this one throne. All of the order of things that has ever happened and that will ever happen. The Old Testament will talk about uh, the mountains shouting. And Paul says in Romans that all of creation groans to be made right. This is all happening in this throne room. And this throne is at the center of all of it. It's our ultimate reality and it's the real, most real thing of all things that we've experienced here on earth. Now as you uh, continue, you'll find that no one in heaven can break this scroll. This scroll is very important and the, the seals, the seven seals, because no one on heaven, on earth, or under the earth is able to break these seals. And it's not until the line of Judah, the root of David, the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, comes and he is able to break these seals. He is able to open this scroll. And as the Lamb sits on the throne, the heavenly creatures uh, all around the throne bow down and worship him. Now, if we were to see these creatures with all of, the, all of the, the eyeballs and everything, if they came down here right now, we would be tempted to do either one of two things. We would either bow down and worship them because we wouldn't know what else to do, or we would run away terrified. But it's not like this in this throne room. These creatures are actually bowing down to Christ. They're bowing down before the throne. And since their attention is drawing you, it, it draws your attention towards the throne. And what this throne does for us and what it would have done for them is empower this Christian joy and peace. Because if Jesus sits on the throne, what could happen to his followers? Like what could really happen? And if we understand this as our ultimate reality that, that we are sitting in this throne room right now in this moment, worshiping God, that we're with all of these creatures, even though we can't necessarily see them, that we're all surrounding this throne and we're worshiping Christ, the only one who has the power to open up the scroll and to break the seals, then who can stand against us? Right? If you uh, came to revival or you watched online uh, the revival services, uh, Brother Byron talked about to live as Christ, to die as gain, bringing a passage from Paul in. And he said this uh, thing, and I'm not going to quote him exactly, but he said something to the sense of, you can't threaten me with heaven, right? You can't threaten me with this throne room because the throne room that, that we're all a part of right now, we're eventually going to go to after we pass here on earth. After we leave this earth, we're going to be in this throne room. We're going to see all the creatures. We're going to see the 24 elders. We're going to see all, all of creation worshiping the one who saved us. So we need to understand that because of this ultimate throne, we don't need to start building our own. But we often do. We take traditions or we desire something 
to do or we desire to do something outside of the word of God. We find arguments to justify our actions. We uh, look at things in scripture. We, we try to fulfill our own fleshly desires and we start building our own throne because we all in us have this desire to rule over ourselves. We all desire this control over ourselves. We want to choose when we go to what place. We want to choose how we live our lives, right? And, and, the, and the world that we're living in right now, the world is empowering these type of choices. It's saying, you don't need anyone to tell you what to do. You just go and you do it. You go and do, um, go and live out your dreams. And I'm not saying that's necessarily bad, but when it's outside of God's will, then you need to put that away. Because if you start working towards something that's outside of God's will, then you're going to start building up your own throne of what you think Christianity is, of what you want your life to be, and not what God wants your life to be. And so oftentimes what we do is we build this tiny little pathetic throne and we try to rule over our lives. We try to uh, make our own decisions. We try to hold on to our own finances instead of asking God for guidance. We, uh, we ask him for other things and, and we're, we, want, we don't want his guidance, but whenever we fall into trouble, then we want him to get us out of it, right? And so this is, this is the dilemma that we have in our little, uh, little tiny throne that we have where we're trying to rule over our lives. And you see this in the world today. There's all of these things that bring us temporary comfort and peace that we call sin, and that is sin, but it gives us temporary comfort and peace to soothe us as we encounter all the things that we actually fear. So, uh, for example, with the war in Ukraine, I saw a lot of people on, I mean, it was just on Facebook, but a lot of people on Facebook, they were running around, going and commenting on other people's posts and all of this because they were terrified at what was happening. People from the United States, terrified at what was happening because they're, they're going and they're reading this prophecy from, from someone that, that just pulled one random verse out of the Bible and immediately was filled with fear. And when things like this happen, like maybe you encounter a financial uh, hardship or you uh, encounter a broken relationship or uh, you encounter some type of temptation that you just can't seem to get over, when you start to fear and you live your life in fear, you tend to go to what the world says will help you get better. You, you go to what the world says is going to fix that brokenness. And what happens is you start building your own throne and you, you have like this cycle of fear, anxiety, worry. And because of those feelings, then you go to this thing like a placebo, the sin of, of placebo of, well, this will, this will soothe me of my anxious thoughts. This will soothe me and it will comfort me in this moment of crisis, right? You probably saw all of that during COVID-19. So many people, maybe even including yourself, you, you started falling into temptations like you never had before just simply because you're trying to soothe yourself of all the crisis of being isolated from other people, of 
having to wear a mask in, in, in stores and having to change a lot of your life and your lifestyle with uh, if you work, you probably went remote and you had to do a bunch of Zoom meetings and figure out how, how to even work Zoom, right? How to even work Google Classroom, how, how to work all of these other things so that you can do your job that's meant to be in person digitally, right? Even with church, you're like, I don't even know how to turn on a computer, let alone get on online service, Right? And so there, there's all of these things that the world offers that are simply just placebos. They're simply just there to comfort you temporarily, but they have no meaning behind them. They, they give you nothing. In fact, all that they do is leave you wanting more. They leave you wanting more. And when we start building up this throne to try and rule over our lives and say everything's fine, Everything's just perfectly fine, even though deep down we know that our kingdom is falling apart. We're like, ah, I'm fine. Like, look at my kingdom. It, it, it's so good. It's so glamorous. We post the pictures. We, everything's happy. Everything's good. But deep down inside, we're, we're sitting there trying to build up our kingdom again. We're trying to, uh, to get to these placebos to soothe us of all of the destructiveness that's happening because we are terrible at being God. We are terrible at ruling over our own life. And it's because we were never meant to rule over our own life. We were meant to be ruled by the one who created us. So any sin that we commit, any type of sexual immorality, drunkenness, idolatry, it's all a placebo. It, it, it's just there and you take it in. It gives you some happiness. It gives you some comfort. It gives you some peace or whatever else. But ultimately, it does nothing for you of any value. And all of these placebos that we take, it just shows us, it continues to show us that we are horrible at ruling over our own life. We're terrible at being God. Everything that we do to try to comfort us when we are anxious, when we are afraid of what is happening in the world, what's happening in our lives, it leaves us longing for more. Revelation chapter 5 verses 1 through 4 says this, then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. And then John says this, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look inside. John wept and wept because this situation demonstrates the most hopeless situation. A broken people, a broken creation. Here's the scroll that has all of the story of history, the meaning of life, and the salvation for all, and no one can get it open. No one can save all of creation. No one can heal all of this brokenness. John wept because no one was able to save. No one was able to, to go to his friends, to go to his family and save them from the brokenness of sin. Just like John, we are weeping for the world to be better. We are weeping that our life gets better. We are weeping because we are longing for someone to rule over our life. 
because we honestly, if we look at ourselves, we know how pathetic we really are. And, and y'all, you know what I mean. That feeling when, when you're, you're kind of going your own way, you're not really paying attention to God or God's word, and you, you, you come into church because it's a social event, but not to worship God. Right? I've done that at times. Uh, I come to see the people, and I don't come to see my creator. And so it's in those moments that, don't you feel that? I think some people describe it as a hole in their heart. They, they are striving. They're wanting something more. They know that there's something more to this life, but they can't, they can't grasp it. They don't know what it is. And you see this in the secular world, too, just outside of church. People know that there's something more, there's something deeper, right? Just look at stranger things, right? There, there's a whole different reality that these people are like, there is something else going on, and here's how I'm going to picture it, and, and it'll be an entertaining show and everything. But deep down inside, everyone, uh, that show is very popular probably because people know that there's something else going on in this world that we just can't see. And so we all can relate to Stranger Things because we're like, there's something weird that's happening in the world right now and it's uh, beyond my eyes to be able to see this. But what I know is that there's something there and we relate to what they call the upside down world, whereas us, it's the throne room. For everyone, it's the throne room. It's, it's what we call heaven. And so we all strive to be ruled over in our spirit, our flesh desires to be the ruler, desires to sit on the throne. But you know, when you sit on that throne, you're in utter and complete rebellion against God. When you sit down on your own little throne, you are against the throne of the lion of the lamb, uh, of, of the great I am. And you're standing against him thinking that you can rule over him too, that you can make God who you want him to be. And in this hopeless situation that we all encounter, maybe daily or weekly, we get to Revelation 5.5. 5. It says, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. The one who is able to break the seals and open the scrolls are the, is the only one who can come in and mend our hearts. He sits on his throne as a slain lamb. You'll see this in Revelation. It says, a lamb that was like he was slain. And so he sits on his throne as a slain lamb so that by his wounds you could be healed. With God and with the throne of God, he heals our brokenness instead of covering it up like the sin in our life. So if this is our, our sin... We know it's here. We all know it. We know our own sin. I don't know what you're dealing with, but, but you know what you're dealing with. And let's just say this, this hymnal. That's a bad choice, but this remote. There we go. That makes me feel better. Right, so this remote represents all of your sin, all of your struggle, all of your pain, all your worry, all your fears. And what, what sin does says it's okay. It's okay. But then any type of wind blows in our life and 
It's there again, so then we're, we're coming back. Stay. Just stay right there. Right? But what God does, and he said, you don't need this cover. There's a thing called confession where you tell me exactly what you're dealing with and I'll take it away from you. I'll take it away as you give it up. It's this cycle of, you know, I'll take this side, you give it to me, and I'll take it from you so that it is no more. This is what the throne room does for us. That right now in this moment, you can give up all of the sin, all of your fears, all your struggles, all your worries, knowing that God is loving enough to take it away from you and to care for you. Now, you may deal with some of the consequences. You may still have those feelings because Satan will always try to distract your eyes away from the throne. He will always try to make you look at the other creatures, to look at all of the other creation instead of focusing on the throne. But what God wants for you right now is to share in this space with the throne of the Lamb. And we accomplish this through worship. Now, when I say worship, singing hymns and songs are, are definitely a part of worship. They're a big part of worship, but it's not all of worship. Worship, and, and it's very fine definition, is an act of attention to the living God. Worship is an act of attention to the living God. There is a place in worship uh, that we call the convergent space. And, and what it is, is, is this space, this moment where heaven and earth they meet, they, they intertwine with one another, right? If, um, if you remember back to when you were first saved, back to those moments where you went maybe to church camp or you went to church in a, in a particular service, you, you felt something different than you had before. Uh, you felt, really felt the spirit and you weren't worried about anything else that was happening in that church building, but just you and your worship of God this is what the convergent space is. It's this space where, where heaven and earth comes together and the people participating in this can only focus on the throne. They're not worried about where they are in earth. They're not worried about uh, who they are with or, or what they're going to eat later or anything like that. They're just concerned with worshiping God. And it's a, it's a great moment. It's a different place where your full attention is on God. Not whether or not you like the song, not whether or not um, you, you have plans after service. It's this full attention on the throne of Jesus. And some of us can be mistaken because we think that the ones who are most expressive in worship are in that space. And we often wonder why we're not there. But I can tell you what, not all who are expressive in worship are in the convergent space. They are simply just mimicking what they've seen. They are trying to mimic so that they too can go there. It's kind of like The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. If you read the book, if you watched the movie, if you haven't, it's a great book, great movie. Right? But the premise of it is that there's this wardrobe in this house, and if you go through all the clothes in the wardrobe at the back of it, um, and you believe, then you can go into what they call Narnia, 
which you've probably heard of before, right? So you, you can go into Narnia, and it's a completely different world than where they're in. And so like this, there's this space called the convergent space that uh, we come into a church, we come into a house, we come into a place like a wardrobe, and we can walk right into it and go to Narnia, to go to this throne room. But what people do when they, when they have their own throne, when you're sitting on your own throne, you can walk right into the wardrobe and you're going to smack your head right on the back of it. You're going to go and you're going to hit it and you're going to be like, this is it? This is what all these people are excited about? Just the back of the wardrobe? But it's not until they step in to the throne room that they really experience what it's all about. And so this is why sometimes with, with uh, people that we are praying for to get saved, when they come into church, they, they kind of walk in and they're like, that's it? Like, we just come here, we sing some songs, we listen to a guy talk for 30 to 40 minutes, and then we're done? Whereas the ones who aren't sitting on their own throne and they're focused on the throne of Jesus, they're walking right into that throne room, and they're going to a completely different place. And what happens is when that person sees that everyone else is in a completely different place, they desire to want to go there. Just like all of the, the friends, right? When, they, when the friends went back and they started talking about Narnia, everyone was wanting to go back. And so our worship has to be genuine, which means that we have to get rid of our throne. Because if we're sitting on a throne, there's no room for an amen. There's no room for worship because we're trying to rule over our own life. Instead, we need to go throw that throne aside, burn it, get rid of it so that we can walk into this throne room and experience true and authentic worship. And you don't have to be super expressive of your worship. Some people just aren't. Right? There, you know, some people that they started here and then they went up to here. And this is a big move, right? And I'm not saying that to make fun, but like it's a big move. It, it's, you know, you went from kind of an awkward place to, to a place where you're raising your hands a little bit, right? It, you, maybe you just kind of open up your palms a little bit, right? You don't have to be super expressive in worship. But I also know that even with the expressive ones, as they are just mimicking, so other people mimic the behavior of others trying to get to this throne room, and so they stand at their sides. They may even cross their arms. They may even just slightly put their arms out and their palms up, but they're hitting the back of the wardrobe. They're hitting nothing. And they're mimicking to trying to get in. But the only way to get in is to believe and repent. To believe that you can actually go into this space and repent of all of your sins to get rid of your throne. Believe that God is the ruler over your life, that Jesus died for you uh, on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins, and repent, which means to accept the invitation into life abundantly. And when you do that, you'll be able to experience this convergent space. Now, I don't want you to be on your little throne anymore. It's not fun. It's too tiny. 
it's it's not a great place to be so you need to go and you need to set that aside you need to forget about it and you need to walk into the convergent space of the throne of the living God like you were always meant to be but the only way to do that is to repent is to accept that invitation that God gives all of us to walk into life abundantly with him So if you're in this cycle of fear and trying to numb the pain and the fear and the anxiety and you're sitting on your throne and you know that it's all crumbling, know that there's nothing for you in that place. It's like trying to build a sandcastle right beside the shore. You you build it up, but any water, any wave will knock it all right back down. What do I see people do all the time in this world who don't know Christ? They're constantly building back up their little throne, their little kingdom, because they want to rule. But what God wants for you is to stop trying to rebuild what he's already been trying to break and to turn and look to him. This thought came into my head um, And I didn't write it in my notes, so it won't be as good as when it first came into my head. But sometimes I think God breaks us down. He he breaks down certain kingdoms that we've built. He breaks down certain traditions or, or desires or something else. And it's painful when he does this. Right? Because imagine as a kid when you built this miraculous sand castle that we thought was like 100 feet high. But, you know, it was really down there. But... We thought it was so big and so elegant and we were so proud of ourselves for building up this sandcastle and God sends a wave. And I think sometimes God sends that wave so that you can turn and you can look to him. You can turn away because when he breaks something down, there's an opportunity to build something back up. There's an opportunity to build something on that that will actually stay. And that only comes from God. And so, when those waves come, don't immediately get frustrated with God for breaking down your kingdom, but instead look and see why. Who it's about. It's about Jesus pursuing a broken people to fulfill his purpose and to save them. And what is he doing? For some of you, he's sending a wave to come and break down your throne. So don't build up your throne again. He'll send waves for a while. But I don't want to test and see when he stops sending the waves to you. I don't want to test and see when he stops sending those waves into the kingdoms that I've built. And so I want us as a church to have this genuine worship. You may be a a Christian and you're building your own throne in certain areas of your life, maybe not all of your life, repent of those things and be specific on where you are building your kingdom instead of God's kingdom. Say to God, I know I've been trying to rule over this part of my life and you fill in the blank, you put whatever part it is, but I want you to rule over my entire life. So I'm giving up my throne and I know that you're going to take this throne away from me. I'm going to turn towards you. And if you aren't a Christian, if you've never accepted Christ, ask him to be the king over your life today. 
Say, Lord, I know that I've been trying to rule over my entire life. And, and, and I know that my life isn't sufficient. I know that my kingdom is falling and it's broken. I'm always longing for more. There's always something else that I'm desiring. I feel shame for my actions, sitting on my own little throne in rebellion against you. And I want you to rule over my entire life. And as we sing this next song, I'd invite you to come up to the front if you uh, feel led to. Uh, I know for me, coming up to the front was like a, a physical sign of the steps that I was taking in my heart. And so I'd invite you to come up uh, to the front, uh, to, the, to the altar. But if not, I want you to know that we are also built for relationships, which means that if you choose and you don't feel compelled and you're, that's just not what, the way that you come to God is by coming up to the altar, find someone else to pray with you and for you. Because the power of the altar is because the people of God come and gather around the person. The most powerful altar calls that I ever had was not when I went up by myself. It was when I went up with someone else and other people gathered around me. And so I'll find other people of God to go after service and pray with you and for you. But I invite you as we sing, Lord, I need you. To just say, Lord, I need you. To just sing those words, but also pray those words. Heavenly Father and gracious God, I thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to, to speak your word. Lord, I ask in this moment that you would just open up our eyes to what we've been missing. Lord, if we've been desiring this throne room, we remember what it was like when we were kids or when we were younger or maybe a, a few years ago or a couple weeks ago, and we are desiring this space where heaven meets earth, I pray that you just come into our hearts right now and say, just believe and get rid of that throne that's in your life and you'll be able to share in the worship of the throne room. Lord, I pray as we leave today, may we be encouraged, may we be ready to go and share your word with this lost and broken world. For it's in Jesus' name, amen.